0: Need to look at how do they create data fabrics? You know, how do you start to create a common kind of storage and data services layer that can be across on premises, across Amazon, Microsoft, and Google that can start to take care of these things?
1: Hello, and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often over complicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and in today's episode, we'll be looking at the evolution of the data landscape in a multi-cloud world. Over the next 40-ish minutes, we'll discuss the explosion of data we've witnessed over the past few years and look at how we can manage that effectively in a multi-cloud environment. We'll also turn our eyes to the future and see how we can best prepare ourselves and our infrastructures to ensure we're storing, accessing, and gaining as much value as possible from our data in a safe and compliant way. Joining me on today's episode is Andrew Cochran, Chief Technologist for Data Center at SoftCat, Matt Watts, NetApp's Chief Technology Evangelist, and Don Foster, Commvault's Global VP for Sales Engineering. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for being here. To kick things off, I always like to ask a question to get to know my guests a little better. This time, I've been on the random question generator, so uh, apologies for this in advance. Guys, let me ask you, what would your first question be after being woken up from being cryogenically frozen for a hundred years starting with Andrew
2: So I think I'd have to go with something along the lines of has Facebook or has Mark Zuckerberg taken over the world yet? And depending on the answer to that I might have to be put back to sleep or I might be happy to wake up and (laughs) live my life again
0: Nice, nice, Matt? Well I guess there's several I think probably you know, if we found a cure for cancer would be the kind of the politically correct one if we colonised Mars would probably be kind of interesting to me and is EastEnders still running?
3: Yeah, fair. fair. done. Well, I must say that my first question would be, can I have some coffee and what's for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) Outside of that, it would probably be uh, something around the, have we found that cure for cancer? Very diplomatic
1: answers. Thanks very much for getting involved, guys. Uh, Let's not waste any more time and uh, get straight into the show. (music) Now, before we dive in, Andrew, could you just really briefly tell me what is multi-cloud?
2: Yeah, so I think to answer that effectively, we need to take a little step back first and address hybrid cloud. So hybrid cloud has been around for a while, and realistically, that was the mixture of a customer's own data center and one public cloud instance. Typically, this was looked at from more of an infrastructure lens, so think around terms of storage, compute, virtual machines. Multi-cloud is that same mix, but where you're looking to operate across multiples of those. So you've still got your your own private cloud. You're also consuming multiple public clouds across IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS. But rather than having two of those, you're looking about three, four, five plus. And I think as part of that, we're also seeing that that rise in maturity as well. Of it's not just operating multiple of those, it's how you're operating them. So actually looking at them more as platforms and then leveraging your applications and your data across those and choosing the right, services for what you're trying to achieve. And quite often that means moving to cloud native services to do that across those different platforms.
1: Great. Thanks, Andrew. So with the first question, let's go back 10 years prior to most companies using any cloud, let alone multiple clouds. What was the data landscape like then? And how did the majority of organizations store and access their data?
2: So I think looking back that amount of time, it was primarily within our four walls. As much as you might have multiple data centers, it was really where we could go and see and touch and operate those things. And we treated our, our data in that same way. We, we knew where it was, where it was going to live, how long we were going to keep it for, what it was being used for, because it wasn't as fragmented as what we're seeing now. Whereas actually those those four walls have been broken down, our data resides in data centers in cloud services on endpoints whether that be laptops mobile devices where that data has been accessed captured leveraged and i think 10 years ago that that wasn't the case
1: why has it moved so quickly then and dramatically that can be for anyone in which case, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and let me, let
0: me sort of add to, to what Andrew's saying there and uh, I'm, again interested to get other people's view on this. You know, if you go back to sort of the 10, 12, 30, however long ago, you know, a, a lot of what is data was the stuff that was created with kind of systems of record, the more kind of business kind of enterprise type systems. And what we've seen, the, the big shift has really happened over the, that, that time period. Data is everything nowadays. I mean, everything, you know, as we went into virtualization, as we started to think about containers and as we think about the cloud, data defines everything. It defines the application, the, the operating system, the virtual machine, the data being created. And suddenly it's not just people and applications creating data. We've got data being created by things. So I think that the whole definition and scope of data has changed pretty dramatically, which has caused people to think differently about it.
3: So, Matt, I love that point, actually, too, because it used to be, and I think, Andrew, this goes back to your point, kind of in our four walls, the boundaries, right? Data was tied to infrastructure. And as infrastructure has become, to your point, it could be a device, could be a sensor that's now creating data. It's no longer about data being locked in into four walls. And that's the sort of the dramatic element that's changed everything. That data is being created everywhere in so many different formats. And I think the reason it's changed so quickly is this new agility, this new access to data, you know, the whole idea of being data driven, the more you can collect, suffice to say, hopefully, the more value you can gain from it, if you can actually harness the power and the understanding of what the data can tell you or how it can be 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 leveraged. So I think that's how we've seen that move away from client server where data was in the server. And then it went to you know, because we had fragmentation there at that point, right, because we had so many servers that uh, kind of exploded within the data center then we started to centralize that, network attached storage, SAN-based storage, you know, all the different interconnectivities to help centralize. And now we've gone back out into the fragmented sense as infrastructure has no longer become so hard and defined as the cloud has come about, multi-cloud, and the ability to really kind of burst and span what you're trying to achieve across all these different locations. It definitely brings a new challenge to the folks that are trying to harness the power of the data in their organization as they look at all these different new infrastructures and architectures.
1: What does it mean for
3: organizations and their data strategies, this huge change? So just from you know my point of view, one of the biggest challenges folks have, it there is a skills issue, right? Because all these different infrastructures, locations, there's different ways to interact. Uh, so understanding how you can maybe leverage uh, different automation, different orchestration techniques from one cloud to what you're doing on premises to another cloud, these new cloud native services, they all do operate differently, right? And of course, the other thing to bear in mind, and I I guess I'll be the first one to bring up the the, the ransomware issue that we've been hearing about so readily here in, in the news lately, is it also brings about sort of that security threat element of having my data spread out so broadly and having it kind of fragmented in that sense how do I also ensure that I can keep it secure? Because you know there's information in, inside that data that is proprietary, and in many cases can be you know core IP for a business.
0: Yeah, and I think added you know if you add to that and and just sort of you know going on from it a, a little bit, Don, and, and I'm sure you know this is something we'll probably talk about a little bit as we go through this. Everything is different when you're managing things within your own four walls. You at least have some kind of standards. You at least have a a known quantity of ways of how do you secure it and protect it and manage it and you know do all of these different things. Now that You're starting to spread that data across, as as Andrew said, not just Amazon, Microsoft, Google, but, you know, IaaS providers, SaaS providers, PaaS providers. You know, how do you consistently protect, secure, encrypt, you know, and deal with things like ransomware in this incredibly diverse um, world where a lot of what is mission critical to you
2: is not things that you're running yourselves? Part of that has come from, I suppose, over those number of years. As well as we've had cloud and ransomware and the, all these, this perfect storm. I think there's been another one, which has been, I suppose, that that democratization of data and the demands of the business. Ultimately, it's like no longer is it it's a thing that that the IT guys look after, that the infrastructure guys look after, and we, we fire into them, and it's their responsibility. We've now got in organisations. Chief data officers, we've got scientists, analysts, we've got people in HR, in legal, in people that are responsible for kind of the customer records, all these different experts in their own areas, in their own data sources that now are, I suppose, wanting more, demanding more, expecting more of what a a data platform needs to provide to them, which I'd argue we probably didn't have that in the past. So, therefore, I think. We're seeing that in our consumer lives and also kind of in our, our, our business world as well as actually we need to be able to operate and use that data more effectively, whether that be delivering more insights into it for value or understanding the risk better of it. And again, you you add all these things together and you've kind of got that perfect storm for something has to change and we need to, to be doing something better than what we we were and have been doing in the past. I think one of the things that's interesting as well is, you know, this is an age old problem
0: that who owns data, right? Because I remember you would talk to application owners, you would talk to users and they would say, oh, well, that's the responsibility of IT. They, they kind of look after the data and the IT guys would say, it's not my responsibility. We put an infrastructure in place, but it's their data. Data was always the the, the, the hot potato that kind of nobody really wanted to own. But the reality was IT took care of it because they were building the infrastructures, the platforms. They were making sure that it was dealt with. What's really interesting in this new world of cloud is quite often there's no IT person involved. You've got a data scientist or an application developer building an application in the cloud. Who does own that data? Who is responsible for that data? It's that person. you know. So I think it sort of opens up a whole kind of new... Um, Issue that we've always avoided in the past because the application guys would just say it's their problem, IT would say, well, we'll take care of it, but it's not our data. Um, so it, there is a, a lack of ownership, I think, in this, this kind of new world, which I think is gonna be interesting.
3: Yeah, I think then that's kind of where I was going, like innovation, right? It's sort of a double-edged sword for IT, right? The businesses transform, and with that, come all these new ideas and great ways that we can connect with our customers, the businesses we're trying to serve, et cetera. But with that transformation from a business perspective, I think so too, to your point, like who owns the data? IT needs to start to transform, right? I think we're seeing that happen. I'm not sure it's happening as fast as the business wants, right? You have all those stresses of new environments, new data types, who owns it? How am I supposed to maintain it? Do we have the skills? And yet data continues to proliferate and be created at a very fast rate. So there's there's a gap. And that's, I think it's kind of the challenge that IT is trying to face today as we transform as technologists, as we take that technology to the cloud, help to meet our our customer goals. And it's just an interesting transformation to see that double-edged sword of innovation and the stresses that it brings to IT and also see new transformation and innovation that comes you know sort of sort of out of those new, new ways of thinking this episode of explain it is brought to you by
1: barracuda more than two hundred thousand organizations worldwide trust barracuda to protect their email networks data and applications with innovative solutions remote work is here to stay cloud migrations are accelerating and secure access is critical Companies need zero trust network access to verify every access attempt to data and resources. Barracuda CloudGen Access is an innovative zero trust network access solution that provides secure access to applications and workloads from any device and location. CloudGen Access continually verifies that only the right person with the right device and the right permissions can access company data or apps or any infrastructure. To try this one-of-a-kind solution, visit barracuda.com forward slash cga hyphen trial. So if data is the, the driving force behind all, all of that IT change over the past 10 years that we've just spoken about, and everything's data, 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 data management, you hear it all the time, right? Data management. Matt, what does that actually entail? So I'm so glad you came to me for that one, because this is one of my anger topics, and <laughs> um, because I hear people saying, oh, right,
0: we're a, we're, a, we're a data management company. In my experience... That conversation usually happens for a couple of different reasons and causes a couple of different responses. As a vendor like NetApp, right, who come from a storage background, if I go to a company and say I'm a data management company, the often the first reaction I get from a customer is, yeah, you and every other storage company. Because we all call ourselves data management companies because nobody wants to talk about storage. So we all called ourselves data management companies. So one, you and everybody else are saying it. The second reaction that I often find you get is people say, no, you're not. Because what do you mean when you say data management? That is a massive topic. Do NetApp do data management? Yes, in one definition, because we help protect and secure and encrypt and mobilize, Um, and now to some degree also look at compliance around data, which I would argue is a form of data management. But is that the form of data management that the person I'm speaking to thinks of? Probably not, because it's too broad. Data management for me is a bit of a wishy-washy, very, very broad brush topic that I don't think helps you describe who you are or the person listening to you understand what it is that you actually do. Round over.
3: (laughs) Tell tell us how you really feel, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, Matt, I, I love that point. I love that no one wants to talk about storage, right? Well, it's funny because in the back of recovery space, like a company like Commvault, right? Coming from back recovery, I mean, talk about a topic that most people, at least in the past, didn't want to talk about. So it evolved into data management, right? And I think we all know, I mean, the industry term of master data management the data scientists and all those components it's a completely different realm than i think what many vendors like ourselves probably like what yourselves and others and and whatnot talk about it's almost like saying cloud oh so what do you do cloud okay what does that necessarily mean right it means many things to many different people so I've had a number of, of interesting rants and conversations with different marketing folks, different technologists, different evangelists on that same exact topic. And it just it continues to kind of spin around and around and around.
2: Yeah, I agree.
3: I, I've i been
2: trying to at least divide that up a little bit. And I think I actually heard this from Matt, so I can't take full credit for all of this. But this um, concept of above the data and below the data it still makes it a massive term, but I quite like using data management as something we do below the data. It's how we protect it, secure it, recover it in disaster, kind of all the things that I, I will, I'm sure I'll dig into. And then I almost like saying, actually above that data is more governance for me. It's around the massive data management, how you architect your data, um, how you define your data pipelines, all these things that actually apply before kind of you, you've captured and processed and stored that data. For me, I think they're more governance terms than the management terms and almost kind of separate the them out. So it's like, yeah, management's still a big topic, don't get me wrong. But it at least starts to hopefully differentiate a little bit of actually, I'm in this more infrastructure back-end world when I'm talking data management. And if I'm talking data governance, I'm more in that apps, developer, DevOps world, scientist world, and trying to differentiate that way. And I'm still playing with it to see if it works, but at least trying to Provide some sort of delineation between the audience, I suppose, if possible. Yeah, I think
0: most. Of it, I mean, to your, to your point, Don, I always used to think that. You know, I mean, I get harsh. The further away from the application you are, the less people care. So as you sort of go from, you know, the application to the operating system to the service to the cloud, to you, you, you're just, the further down that path you go, the less people seem to care. However, to your point, Andrew, there's real value there, and what I'm finding is really interesting in the cloud is. In the data center, people know storage and data and they know some of the possibilities and things we can do with it. They know that, you know, snapshots and snap restores and cloning, all of those things which feel very kind of underneath the data, those skills exist inside the data center. So you can bring those to bear against the applications that you've got. When you go into the cloud, people don't really think about data and storage and aren't thinking maybe about some of those capabilities. And I've said this a few times, I had a chat with a data scientist, born in the cloud, data scientist. And he said, you know, who are NetApp, what do you do? And I kind of went through the details and and he didn't really know of us. And, And I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, in the cloud, what if I could enable you to create an instantaneous replica of any quantity of training data such that you could replicate and train multiple AIs in parallel? And he said, well, that would be huge for us. And I said, what if I could also enable you to take snapshots so you have an instant point-in-time copy, a complete history of every set of data that was ever used to train an algorithm at a particular point in time? And he said, that would change my business. But he doesn't know because he doesn't know. In the data center, we have people who understand storage, who understand those under-the-data things that can connect those pieces together. In the cloud not so much. And I and I think that's that's where there's there's a real opportunity and, and you know and a gap, I think.
1: So how then can we as IT technologists help people to be agile in a multi-cloud environment and get the most out of their data whilst still ensuring
3: it's protected and secured? So I think the first thing you really want to look at is identifying when you start to look at different platforms, different cloud platforms, whether you want to run it on-premises, whether you want to take it to a cloud, who that cloud vendor might be, whether you might even want to go SaaS, right? We can't forget about SaaS because you can actually get the outcome basically predefined for you if it fits a specific need. Um, I think the the importance of it is though, and this kind of goes back to what Matt was saying about, there is some of the skills gap in the folks that are from an application perspective that are driving the direction of these new platforms. It's about starting to bring back to the business owner, right, the potential value that the technology that we've been used to on prem, what that might look like in a sort of a, a refactored or, or, or a new technology, a new space like the cloud. So a lot of this goes back to, you know, as technologists, whether we're in the data center today, you know, there is a need for us to ensure we're sharpening our skills, that we're able to now communicate what that technology means to the application and business owner in a way that is not only relevant to them, but allows us to kind of highlight some of the capabilities within the technology of these new platforms. And not necessarily trying to just lift and shift ideas that we've done on-prem into the cloud, but learning from what we've done there to tie into new technologies that may have been, been developed by some of these cloud providers, and being able to then communicate what that value means back to the application owners. In many cases, you know these new platforms, they're awesome from an agile development perspective. They're awesome to recreate new ways to think about you know, reaching out and providing the level of scale, the level of touch, collecting new, new types of data sets uh, for the customer or the business that you're working with. But the challenge there, it does go back to, if you don't know what you don't know, then is it secure and is it protected? And so the idea here is as technologists, as IT folks, it's getting ourselves more ingrained with the what's possible, getting our platforms more sort of orchestrated and operational with maybe what your different cloud providers, your Microsoft, your Google, your AWS provides from a security perspective. It's you know having more of that robust platform to platform handshaking And then, of course, making sure we can communicate back to the business the value that these tool sets can provide and the way that when the question is asked what happens when we get hit by a ransomware attack or what happens if this goes offline to make sure that that plan is already in place and built with the idea of what the cloud or these new platforms can offer. Right. So I guess long story short, what can we do? It's all about thinking forward and almost starting to re-architect the ideas of how we're securing and protecting data on-premises and starting to think, all right, how do I apply those same methodologies, You know, still have the value of orchestration, centralizing, being able to take advantage of all these services, be it SaaS, be it cloud, be it cloud native, different you know, serverless platforms, et cetera, How can I start to manage this as a whole and provide the same level of agility for giving access back to that data in case something were to strike? It's not easy. It's definitely complex, but it's working through that path. And that also kind of leads to the transformation of IT professionals of, you know, the value we can offer back to the business and, and technology, even in the cloud world.
2: I think to add to Don's point, because I, I completely agree. I, I think as IT professionals and if you're in that more infrastructure data center world, we need to recognize that the the world has changing and is continuing to change. The the conversations of our businesses are wanting to have are all around that, that applications and that data therefore we need to make sure that we're relevant there we're not the people you come to once you've designed the platform and you already know what it's doing we want to be there at the beginning of that conversation to make sure that we're ingraining all of these principles from day one and advising on them and I think it's been able to have those conversations so actually when you're forming this team almost like a a cloud center of excellence but we want a a data space center of excellence to be able to look at data across the entire landscape do we say actually what is it do we understand it what's appropriate levels of protection where does it need to reside how long for who needs to have access to it does it need to be this performant or does it need to be slow all these different facets that need to be taken into account and some of them you'll have answers from the application people the developer people the scientists some of them they won't even know the question to ask which is why you need people that have been in this world and doing for a long time to make sure we can bring the expertise in at the beginning or as early as possible and it's not again here's another thing it to protect and all of a sudden you've got this new cloud platform which you can't hook in all the things you want to because it's already done and dusted and you've just got to look after what you've got
1: if we've had a look there at data management and protecting data and what data management really is, let's maybe look at the challenges organizations face today in a bit more detail. So there are so many compliance and regulatory pressures around data. How do we go about navigating that multi-cloud world to ensure compliance is consistent across our cloud environment?
0: Oh, yeah. So that, so let me jump in on that one. I said That's another one that I love talking about. I, I think... Um, So most of the clouds do most of the things, right? I look at it and I think just because you can do something in each cloud doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right way to do it. You know, you can go to Azure and you've got Azure Information Protection Labels, right? But that's only for Azure. And you can go to Google and you've got another way of doing it. And and AWS is another way of doing it, which is different from what you're doing on-premises. So I think as we've looked at orchestration, Because orchestration, if you you think about what you do at home, right? I have all sorts of devices. Even my plants up here have little IoT sensors in them that are telling me when they need watering, right? They're all from different vendors, but I have a common control plane. I use Alexa. So I mask the complexity of loads of different devices, of sky, of all these different things by having a common layer over the top of it, a common control plane. And we've kind of gone that way with cloud. We think an easy way of us dealing with Microsoft, Amazon, Google on-premises is to look at OpenShift, ServiceNow, you know, these kind of orchestration and automation frameworks. So I kind of think about, well, why aren't we doing that from the bottom up? Why aren't we looking at it from a data layer and saying, actually, why don't we apply a consistent data layer across on-premises, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, such that we can deal with all of these things in a consistent, simple, and therefore much lower cost, easier to manage way of doing things.
3: And Matt, I think to add to that, you add a you know control plane for how that data is protected, again, tying into all those native aspects of the different clouds, being able to tap into what you're doing on-prem, what you might want from a SaaS perspective, that single control plane I mean, it's, it's basically what is old is new again, right? We went from client server and fragmentation to centralization and getting everything as, as much centralized as possible. And then through the new innovation cycles and the transformation of the last decade, things exploded out. Well, now it's back to that sort of idea, that cyclical idea of, okay, how do we put a management layer to help us kind of get our arms around and centralize, but still allow that agility to explode out whatever direction possible. And I think, you know, even from a security perspective then, right, you can't manage every cloud with its own separate security tool. It would just become too different, too difficult, too many services, too hard to maintain. And so, I mean, helping to, to layer all these things together, that there's that smart handoff there's that smart tracking and monitoring what the environment looks like, how things are being protected, how you're serving that data back to the business. I think that single that singularity in control plane or the ability to reduce the number of call platforms or control planes, that's the absolute goal here to simplify this exploding cloud world and drive better compliance. I mean, that's ultimately what it boils down to, right? It's easy to have compliance from one tool than it is from 20. Fully appreciate what
1: you're saying about a management layer and, uh, and use that to to sync up all the different things, but why not just
3: use one vendor? So why not use just one vendor? I think you will always find, and this is the beauty of diversity, right? Having different technologies for different purposes, they do have benefits in differentiation from uh, you know one vendor to the next, right? Whether it's a cloud vendor, whether you're talking on-premises infrastructure, edge devices, whatever it might be, right? For every Apple, there's a Samsung or a Google or whatever, from a phone perspective, same thing plays in, in, in sort of the business systems. So why not go just one vendor? Well, I guess it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. And it be you know, the ability for you to truly kind of provide that orchestration and maximize the use case of say, infrastructure A versus infrastructure B for what the business wants to achieve. Um, I would always say that if the differentiation is nominal, the fewer vendors, the easier, as long as it's still providing you the level of agility that you're looking for as a company, right? If there is caveats to your ability to change, to to protect, to secure, to, to do whatever it is that your business owners want to do as they're driving new applications, um, and those caveats are roadblocks or or, or issues and allowing them to move forward, then by all means, it's, you know, back to the sort of the best of breed scenario. But I I still think you want to govern that idea of of having multiple platforms or technologies if you can find a way to achieve a common goal through a common control plane or a common management interface for that sort of big picture idea. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a very fragmented and siloed world in the cloud that will get out of control in a hurry. So I'm going to
2: be quite controversial here, and I do agree with with Don to a certain extent. But I almost think this horse is bolted. I think we live in a world now where getting to one vendor is really difficult. I won't say impossible, but I think it's really difficult um, when we think about a multi-cloud world because of that proliferation of SaaS. We're seeing that rise of customers don't want to be running themselves; they want to go buy an outcome. So actually, if we're classifying that as multi-cloud, are we really gonna go back where we're gonna all return our sales forces, our concurs, whatever the platform is you're using, your service now and give them back and start building our own infrastructure? I think for those sensors, we won't. So therefore we have to figure out how we cope with that rise in SaaS. But then I think coming back to Don's point, I think where you've got the choice and you're building the platform, I think you're right. If you can consolidate those down to one ideally and it fits all your needs, that's brilliant. But I think that's where the, the hyperscalers are trying to make a difference. It's like over the last two years or so, I suppose we've seen a lot of analytics services moving to Google Cloud because they've made a big thing around their BigQuery, how easy it is to deploy and scale up and actually quite a lot of data scientists like it. So they've moved all this stuff that they built in AWS and Azure to GCP. I'm sure we'll see many more types of that happening so i I think it's a really difficult one to say actually i'm going to be a single cloud now and i I think it's almost the point where that consistency that management plane, that's where you want to try and get to the one vendor i think if you can treat the the platforms as a platform and you leverage what they give you but then you control that data and where you move it and how you use it therefore you can pick the best place for the best outcome for potentially the best price for what you're wanting to try and do I think we're
0: probably saying similar things, maybe in a slightly different way, because I think um, we, we just did some research. In fact, in fact it, wasn't that, it was Flexera and 93 percent of companies now have a multi-cloud strategy. That's the latest kind of talking. That's a, an analyst study. Let's say they're 10 percent out because you don't trust the analysts. It's still above 80 percent. So we know companies are going to work with an Amazon, Microsoft, and Google and multiple SaaS providers. Knowing that, I think what you've got to look at is where can we create some level of standardization? Because, you know, we are going to work with all three of them. So how are we going to do data protection, encryption, security, backup, recovery? You know, there has to be common control planes that we can layer across the top of this that reduce the complexity of doing it.
1: Okay, how then can we help customers work across multiple clouds and create consistency.
0: I don't want to use this as a sales pitch, but what we believe in, and it's something that that Gartner have been talking about for quite a while, is that we believe companies need to look at how do they create data fabrics. You know, how do you start to create a common kind of storage and data services layer that can be across on-premises, across Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, that can start to take care of these things. To to Andrew's point, a lot of that is the the under-the-data how do we make sure it's it's protected, encrypted, secured, mobilized, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then I think to what Don might come in and talk about, you've then got to look sort of from above the data as well. How do we ensure that it's secure, it's compliant, it's, you know, so, so I think there's there's things that certainly NetApp and Convolt are certainly working on in that space.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like the below the data and above the data sort of picture that you kind of put into our minds when we think about data management. It's a very, very good way to think through it. And I think the other thing to, to also think through here too is it kind of goes back to just because you can doesn't mean you should per se, right? I mean, it, like, like you say, Azure has their own technologies. AWS has their own technologies. Google has their own technologies. They also have all of the common APIs that you could potentially tie into and, and start to deliver similar ideas to what also is built on-premises. So that control plane that can cross all of them is really important. And I think I do want to touch on one other thing too. I think that that helps. When people think about SaaS, and if you look at any of the SLAs or contracts, even behind the cloud providers, you know, at the end of the day, you as the customer are responsible for the data there, right? And most SaaS providers are very similar across, across the board. What I think is interesting is the reason why most people go towards SaaS is they ask themselves a the question, do I want to build this technology and manage it? and maintain it and operate it and care and feed it and everything else? Or do I just want the outcome of what this technology offers and go down that path? Nine times out of ten, and while it might be its own separate cloud or really a cloud built within a cloud that's already you might be leveraging, the, the beauty of that is, is you're able to say, OK, I don't want to manage the infrastructure. I want to focus on what's important, which is the data. So the point is then that same control plane above the data from a compliance perspective, how you're ensuring you know, even disaster recovery and availability for some of those data sets that you find are key and important, whether it be SaaS, cloud-driven, a hybrid model, on-prem, even old-school mainframe. You need to have some sort of way that you can link all that together where you're not putting undue load or pressure on your IT teams to provide back that sort of compliance, that tracking, that recovery readiness, that governance. If you continue to take that fragmented approach, of the wall use that tool for them this tool for them this tool for them you're you going to have a gap as we find yeah, you know, it's already maybe the horse out of the barn sort of scenario that andrew talked about he's probably right the horse is probably already out of the barn so the only way we can try to pull them back at least into the stable so to speak is to try to try to find that unifying technology that can start to link into all these different platforms and that's where the control plane idea comes from it gives you the ability to say i don't want to build the solution i want the outcome that's cool, but I still need to have all of these other above and below the data requirements that are that are tapped into how I'm leveraging that new infrastructure, that new location for data.
2: I'd love to pick up and add an additional question actually to Matt and Don here around SaaS. And I would say a vast majority, I don't know what the figure is, but probably high 90%. You sign up for the service, therefore you agree that you, you can't hook into that data. You can use the tool and whatever they provide, but nothing else. Therefore, this this construct and this idea we've been talking about around this this data management plane falls down for those situations. And my my own personal opinion is I kind of I, I almost worry whether we're heading to a place which as organizations we're going to regret in the future, the fact that we're we're being attracted to this SAS model because of all the things Don just put forward around kind of these operations and things like that. But by the means of doing that, are we giving up the the thing that is the crown jewels to every organization, which is that data and that information by giving it over to them to say, actually, we're trusting you to protect it. And it comes down to ultimately the lawyers getting in the room to review contracts and make sure if anything does go wrong, that you can get the money back for it. But is that really the best approach? So my own personal opinion is I'm quite worried about it. I, I worry if kind of we continue down this path that it might be, kind of some major event that happens for, some, for us to realize actually we should have been demanding more of SaaS providers to say actually it's our data we want your service but we want our data I suppose what what are you guys saying? What do you think about this? Is it are we heading to a dark place, or am I really over exaggerating it? And is actually all we're going to be fine? It's always good to question these things, especially when it comes to data.
0: I think you should always have a little bit of paranoia when it comes to data. You know, I think we it, it's too easy to be complacent. Ransomware is rife at the moment. I think Microsoft just published some new numbers about the, the rise in, in cases that they're seeing. We always need to be a little bit concerned about you know who has our data. Are they taking care of it? Is it protected? But again, for me, it's sort of back to this idea why I think a data fabric is a good idea. And again, I'm going to reinforce the point. This is not a NetApp thing. We talk about data fabrics as a strategy to give you that freedom of choice to say, I want to work with an Amazon, a Microsoft, a Google, a SaaS provider, but I want that freedom to know that I've got, I'm British, so we can call it a Clexit strategy, you know, a cloud exit strategy or whatever you might want to call it. But I've put myself in a position where I've got the benefits of what they're doing, but I've removed maybe some of that that kind of lock-in. It's a good observation, Andrew, and I, I think it's we're right to, to question it.
3: Yeah, And I, I do think that if, if you're a customer, you should be holding your SaaS providers more accountable. At the end of the day, you're the consumer, you have the choice. And I think the idea of the data fabric, right, or or having that common control plane becomes super important. If I'm going to use the Clexit idea, even though I'm an American, I I rather like that. That's kind of funny. Uh, Cheeky, as they might say, right? Um, (laughs) I think it always gives you that sort of agility, right, to move back and forth. I mean, I've seen a number of new studies actually come out, too, where people are questioning the agility versus cost that some of the cloud and even SaaS services provide? Is it less expensive to actually move things back on premises? Me being a petrol head, it's almost the analogy I like to use on Zipcar, right? Car as a service. Only if you really use it, if you're a high user of a of a car, you'll find that you might be spending $100,000 per year for what would be a Chevrolet Impala when you could just go out and buy the car for, uh, you know, 30, 40, whatever thousand dollars it might be and save yourself an awful lot of money. That's just an easy example of, okay, if you're a heavy user of of an automobile, you may not wanna use Zipcar. You may actually wanna think of a different way of doing it. Same sort of idea goes to cloud and workloads. And I think that's again, where we as IT professionals need to start putting more of a uh, critical eye towards what's the workload, what are we really trying to achieve? And are there maybe better ways for us to do this, but still manage it through that data fabric or that common control plane that gives us the security protection and the compliance that we need?
0: Definitely feel like we've got another topic for a different podcast here. As <laughs> I saw some similar research, John, the numbers that they are now starting to publish in terms of what is the overspend or the wastage in cloud is absolutely staggering. And we're seeing it as well. Yeah. These are companies are overspending on resources in the cloud right now.
3: We're not saying don't go to the cloud, we're just saying be smart about it, right? Be considerate of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we've talked a lot about multi-cloud
1: and data, uh, what it is, uh, how it came to be as prevalent as it is today, and what people and organizations are doing to manage it today. Let's look forward five, 10, 15 years in the future. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think the explosion of data is going to continue?
0: So I think I, I mean I can give you a couple of kind of perspectives, a couple of kind of data points for it. One which I love, which is, you know, today the largest solid state drive NetApp ship. So part of our physical on-premises arrays is a 30 terabyte. Technically it's a 30.6. We don't mention the 0.6, it's just a waste of words. If you go back five years ago, the largest one you could buy was a 400 gig, which is smaller than the rounding error we don't mention on the one we ship today. We have qualified the 61. We will see the 120 in the next year or two years. We will have a quarter of a petabyte of storage available on something the size of your mobile phone in the next two to three years. And here's the kicker, it's not enough the quantity of data being created is outpacing even that level of growth that we're seeing in terms of the physical capacities of of these mediums that we can look to deal with it, which is why you've got the Microsofts and Facebooks and others all looking at things like DNA-based storage. So every alarm in my head looking at future technology trends, whether they're ones that we currently have in the way that they will evolve or new ones that we're seeing indicates to me that we are literally scratching the surface right now. And this is going to explode at a, a level that people need to brace themselves for.
3: I would say barring a zombie apocalypse was something weird to that, that set, absolutely. Data is going to just continue to exponentially grow. So too with that will come the challenges. So too will come the opportunities. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit eye opening, but man, the amount of opportunity that comes with that in transformation, new ideas, new new ways, new new innovations. I mean, it's exciting, really exciting in this in this point in time when you start to think of all the things that we're seeing science do. We're expanding our boundaries as a uh, as a society, you know, as 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 a world. So it's going to be interesting as we see that data expand. What's going to be possible with it? what new technologies come out of it, and who knows? Maybe we will find that cure to cancer too, right, Matt? We'll wake up and find out, hey, we've figured it out.
2: <laughs> a hundred years and several petabytes later, we've figured
3: it out. <laughs> <laughs> in 20 instead of 100. Yeah.
1: <laughs> At the risk of possibly repeating ourselves a little, how can organizations best prepare for that future then?
2: So I, I think it's got to start with understanding your data and what you want from it at first because as much as we're going to be getting more of it you want to make sure this the data you're capturing has a purpose and that purpose might be on that value spectrum it might be on that that risk spectrum to be able to mitigate risk in your business if you don't understand what you're capturing then however much of it you have i i feel it's it's pretty pointless for you because you're not going to know what to do with it so I think as as it does start to scale and it, we're definitely not at the top of that peak, it's making sure actually you know what it is, what the purpose for it is that you're trying to capture those data. And there'll be multiple different touch points there and it'll change depending on the application, the workload, the part of the business, where it's been captured from, but having a clear understanding of actually, this is the purpose this data serves. This is how long I need to keep it for and this is where it needs to use. And all these things that actually almost map that life cycle of the data, because otherwise, We're going to have whatever the figure is going to be zettabytes of data but no one's going to know what it's used for it's just going to be sat there gathering dust and i think that's the biggest bit is making sure you've got that clear vision for it so therefore actually you can turn it into an asset
1: perfect we're nearly done there so thanks guys very much really appreciate that but just before we do stop andrew you happy to give just a quick 10 second summary of what we've talked about today
2: yeah, so Zach, today we spoke about that that rise in data, the, the move to multi-cloud and the pressure it's putting on businesses. We spoke about this construct of building a, a data fabric that management plane to be able to understand, control, leverage their data as effectively as possible as the data rises, as they move to more cloud platforms and cloud services to make sure that they're bringing the right people, the right knowledge and resources to be able to actually inform and make the right decisions as they build out their, their data strategy and ultimately making sure that they can have a, a Clegg set as well if they need to.
1: <laughs> Nicely done. Well, that is it for today's episode. Andrew, Macdon, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really great to have you guys on the show. And thank you for listening. If you want to know more about anything that was covered in this episode or want to get in contact with us, feel free to email us at podcast at softcat.com. Make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, we'd really appreciate you giving us a review or a comment on whatever podcast platform you use. We'd really love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to Explain
3: It from SoftCat.